are Locked On Kentucky, your daily podcast on the Kentucky Wildcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, what is going on, Big Blue Nation? Welcome on in to Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. I'm your host, Lance Dahl, writer for Sports Illustrated for various SEC-related things. But on this podcast specifically, we take a dive into all things Kentucky athletics. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. You can make every moment more by visiting FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. On today's episode of Locked On Kentucky, we are going to be previewing Kentucky basketball's matchup with the Georgia Bulldogs, and we are also going to be diving into quite a few listener questions. So for the first time in a while, we're going to dive into the mailbag, so to speak. Going to take a look at what you guys asked me on Twitter, on YouTube, over on Rup, Rap, uh, Rup Rafters, the uh, the message board over there. Going to dive into a lot of different questions covering Kentucky basketball. Thank you so much for making Locked On Kentucky your first listen every single day. Want to remind everybody out there that we are free and available on all platforms. If you're watching on YouTube, sub to the show. It would be great if you subscribe to the show as we climb ever so close to 3,500 subscribers. Uh, and stick around for the ride is all I can say. It's going to be really fun into the season. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. And of course, this offseason, we're going to be talking a lot about what this team could look like next year. Could be a lot of fun. So let's go ahead and get into it. Kentucky on the road, taking on the Georgia Bulldogs. I think the first thing that we have to note in this one is that Kentucky's already beaten the dog out of them. No pun intended, actually, there. The Bulldogs lost to the Wildcats just a few weeks ago. Uh, 85-71 to was the final score in Rupp Arena. The big thing that I saw a couple of different people talking about online heading into this matchup surrounded Oscar Sheebway. And if you've been listening to the show for the past couple of days, you've noted that I've talked quite a bit about Sheebway and what I think Kentucky needs to do with him. Two episodes ago, I went into detail saying about how I believe Kentucky should bench Oscar Sheebway. This was what I felt to be somewhat of a controversial opinion at the time. Come to find out, everybody on the internet started essentially at the same time saying, hey, uh, something rotationally should change here. And it was not as much of a, of a take that I thought it was. I'm actually very thankful that I did not get scolded as hardly as or harshly as I thought I would on that episode. But heading into this one, there are some questions out online saying, well, what would happen if Oscar Shibwe did what he did against the Bulldogs again? And if you don't know, the previous matchup, Oscar Shibwe went for a cool 37 points and 13 rebounds. Or excuse me, 37 points and... Um, and 20-plus rebounds. I think it was like 24 or something like that. I don't have the numbers pulled right up in front of me. He was like 12 of 20 from the floor. He had 18 free throw attempts. Georgia did not have a front court player that could stay in front of him. That was kind of our matchup analysis heading into it, and that was uh, evidently the biggest thing in the game. And you look at heading into this contest, I mean, nothing's changed. Uh, Kentucky right now, I think, is in a good spot rotationally. And if they make the decision to maybe you know, bench Oscar Shibway or limit his minutes and let Onyenzo or Collins. I still I still think Onyenzo's not not ready to go. But Collins, if they were to let him maybe run a little bit more in this game than they did last time, especially in the second half, I think that would be phenomenal uh, for this for this team uh, defensively. But that's the question, right? It's like, well, if Oscar Shibway does end up playing, would a 37-point, 24-rebound type of night or just a good night again, would that kind of bring... 
Kentucky fans around to back around to, okay, well then let's keep Oscar in the, in the lineup. My answer to that is no, almost adamantly. No, I don't care. He could drop 40 and I would still be like, okay, how many points did he give up on the defensive end? Because it's, it's great that he's scoring at such a high clip against some of these smaller teams in the front court, particularly, but it's not great whenever you face off against taller teams and he's not able to execute. I think it's short-sighted to kind of step into a matchup like this and say, well, Shibway should be, be able to perform well in this game. And I agree, he should perform well in this game based on what we saw previously and best, based off the matchup tonight. Or excuse me, tomorrow. Tomorrow morning, I should say. But it does not change the fact that of what comes following this does not require Shibwe to be great on the offensive end. It requires him to be better protecting the rim, which he has been terrible at. You can't get away with not protecting the rim against Mississippi State and Tolu Smith. You can't do the same against Tennessee and their half a million front court players. You can't do the same against Colin Castleton. You can't do the same against Janai Broom. You can't do the same against Liam Robbins. I mean, Kentucky's going to have their work cut out for him. So sure, this may be an individual game where Oscar Sheepway ends up scoring 20-plus points. Just because he does that does not mean that's the right answer for Kentucky moving forward because he's not going to do it again against these taller teams. I'm not saying he's going to score 20. I'm not setting the benchmark there. I'm saying he's not going to pop off like he did the first time around. So this is a matchup that I think is dependent on how well Oscar Sheepway and this front court performs. Outside of that, outside of that, you have to go back to the things that we've been discussing surrounding Sheepway over these past couple weeks. Rotationally, what does the guard play look like? C.J. Frederick has not been it. He's not been it. Defensively, he's one of the worst uh, players on the team in terms of defensive rating. Uh, you can go check that out uh, over at sportsreference.com. I know sometimes you guys ask, how do you know these things? How do you, where, where do you get your numbers from? Sportsreference.com. You go, can go check it out there. I believe on his individual page and the overall team page, if you want to look at the one, uh, numbers per 40 possessions, numbers per uh, 100 minutes or whatever it is. How does C.J. Frederick play? I think he should have his role limited. I think Cason Wallace, you got to let him rock again in this one after having a really solid outing against Arkansas despite the loss. Severe Wheeler, is he able to play in this game at all? I'm not quite sure. It's going to be a tight rotation, which is a little bit different than what we saw last time around, um, as Kentucky has obviously you know, dealt with quite a few injuries. I mean, Onyenzo and Ware played in the previous matchup, but they only played two minutes combined. So maybe there's not a ton that changes in this game. That's kind of the way that I've been approaching it, is there's been almost a month that's gone by And nothing has really changed, I think, to make me feel like this game is going to all of a sudden drastically just become something different. Because it's not like Georgia played statistically terribly. I mean, they shot 50% plus from the floor. They shot 35% from three. They could have done a little bit better better from the foul line, but even then they weren't terrible there. They didn't turn the ball over a ton. They didn't create a lot of steals or anything anything like that, but... They didn't do much outside of what they statistically normally do. You look at the team right now, they're scoring less than 70 a game. They're not shooting particularly well. They're only shooting 41% from the floor, 32 from three. They're one of the worst offensive teams in the league. And sure, they've got a couple of explosive players like Terry Roberts and Cairo Oquendo, or Caro Oquendo. But they just don't. Impress. I think part of it has to do with the fact that Mike White is stepping into a new situation at Georgia, obviously year one after moving over from Florida. 
I think part of that is that he's just not playing with players that he's comfortable with. But man, they're not good offensively. And defensively, they have their struggles as well. They do a really good job of protecting the arc, protecting the three-point line. But outside of that, you know, they don't create a lot of steals. They don't create a lot of turnovers, period. They foul a lot. And teams typically get a large chunk of their points inside the paint. And what does that say? It's very, it's like, it's weird how the SEC's tiered sometimes. Because I said heading into the Arkansas game, Kentucky would struggle against their height and Arkansas would get out and run and they would get to the rim and score. And I think in this game, Kentucky's probably going to do similar things to uh, Georgia. I think they're going to get out and run and I think they're going to get to the rim and they're going to score. Now, whether or not they have half a million fast break points, I think is the question here. I, I doubt that's the case, but... I think that Kentucky's going to be able to find some success one way or another. Wallace, Reeves, Toppin, Shebway, I mean, those are the four that we're looking at at this point. We're looking at those guys to play collectively well together. Who pops off? We lean towards Shebway in this matchup. That's kind of essentially what I've chalked it up to. I know this is a pretty brief analysis, but I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. Not a whole lot has changed. Again, not has not much has made me feel different about this one. On top of that, I think Kentucky is perfectly fine to kind of rebound from that Arkansas game to focus up and to get this win on the road. Sure, it's an early tip. I don't really think that matters in this one. And I'm not sitting here saying, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm just saying, like, based on what happened last time, heading into this one, I don't feel differently. I just don't. So I'm going to take Kentucky to win this one. Ken Ken Palm has Kentucky winning this one by five. I think that's pretty fair. Uh, I think Kentucky scores somewhere in the mid-70s. Georgia scores somewhere in the in the high 60s, like their average says. I think this is going to be a, a pretty statistically um, anomaly-free game. I know that's a really wor- poor way to put it. I just don't think that, that there's going to be a lot crazy that happens in this one. And it's going to be probably one of the quietest, quietest if not the quietest game of uh, this final seven-game stretch. Who knows? Georgia may blow, them, blow Kentucky out. I don't know. I, 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 just don't feel, I just don't feel very different. So if you got a final score prediction, you can leave that in the YouTube comments if you're listening on podcast. You can check us out at Locked on UK. You can either DM or tweet at me and give me your score prediction. All right, before we get to some of these listener questions, got a lot of them to get to, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at FanDuel. This year, the only app you'll need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, and it's America's number one sportsbook. If you're new to FanDuel, it's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and super easy. You can download the FanDuel app now so you can bet on Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads, who's going to score a touchdown, different yards per player, different uh, over-unders for things like that. And it's all on an app that is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. You can make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, continuing along here on the Friday edition of Locked On Kentucky Lance Dahl, hanging out here with you. If you've not subscribed to the show already, would mean a ton if you did that. Also, if you've not subscribed already to the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, that would be ideal as well. 
Andy Patton, Isaac Shade, experts on all things college basketball. They bring you everything you need to know on and off the court. You can hear from big-name experts, coaches, players, me sometimes throughout the basketball landscape on the Locked On College Basketball podcast. That's available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Would highly encourage you guys to go check them out. If you want to stay up to date on everything happen, happening, not just in college basketball, but with Kentucky as well, it's another outlet for that. So, listener questions. I want to start here with the one that we got from Rupp Rafters. Going to go through the one we got on YouTube, or excuse me, on Twitter. Then we've got a few from YouTube as well. So deep breaths, and let's get into it. Hoosier Cat asks, I heard Willie Cauley-Stein played wide receiver in high school. Is that true? Turns out, do a quick Google search, and it is in fact correct. Cauley-Stein finished with 64 catches for 1,265 yards and 15 touchdowns as a senior in high school. That means he averaged 19.7 yards per catch. Read a really interesting article, actually, after looking up something for this question about how terrifying Willie Cauley-Stein was as a senior to be a six-foot-seven receiver on the perimeter. Just how wild that is to look at. There were some videos as well. Uh, it's crazy to think that this was almost over a, uh, almost a decade ago, but Cauley-Stein, very, very uh, fascinating to watch. If I'm not mistaken, he was playing in some type of seven-on-seven tournament. I think I read this as well. And he got offered a scholarship for the for the University of Kansas, like, uh, immediately. Like, they saw him, they were like, you know what, yep, we'll take that, or at least we'll try to. Thankfully, he ended up going to Kentucky and finishing out his career there. So good on Collie Stein. Crazy to think of a six, uh, excuse me, a seven-foot wideout uh, catching <laughs> jump balls and stuff on the outside. Uh, apparently, John Calipari also pulled up for some of his football games as well. Cannot confirm this, um, but sources may say that he ran a four-six as a receiver, a seven-foot receiver. I want. I cannot put enough stress on that enough. So, yeah, just that I would have loved to have seen what Collie Stein would have looked like uh, maybe for Kentucky uh, catching some touchdown passes on the outside. That would have been really fun as well. That was our only question from Rupp Rafters. Lance James Asher on Twitter asks, do you think it's possible we could see more of an eight-man rotation in some of these next few games, or is Cal going to stick to his guns like he did down the stretch against Arkansas no matter what? So I think... Cal's going to have to do something with his rotation in terms of expanding it if he wants to have better results. Because, like you mentioned, Lance, and I'm not talking to myself, I'm talking to James Asher here. Kentucky decided that they were going to tighten things up against Arkansas. And down the stretch, that ended up proving to be a problem considering Arkansas outran and blew out Kentucky in the second half. If he's going to want to try and have better results, I think he's going to try and play guys like Aduthiera more. I think he's going to definitely have to play guys like Damian Collins more. Those players are going to get better only if you give them more opportunities and experience. You can't just sit here and expect at some point randomly for those guys to just all of a sudden develop if you don't try them out in these circumstances now. And I'm not saying put them in dire circumstances. I'm saying put them in positions at the begin- early in the game. Rotate them in. Rotate them in throughout. Yes, absolutely, I think it's possible we could see more of an eight-man rotation. But if I had to, to you know, take a shot in the dark and guess, Cal's not going to be as open, as loose, as some of the fans, myself included, would like him to be with his rotation. I think that he's going to be a little tighter. And I don't necessarily agree with it. 
Uh, again, I've made all of my points clear about how Kentucky should utilize Oscar Sheepway, what they should do at the front court, how they should rotationally use the guards, what minutes per game should look like, what the positions should look like. I've talked about that quite a bit recently. I've given my two cents. Doesn't really matter what I think, considering I don't coach. I would love to at some point at the high school level, um, but then that may be a few years down the road. Point being, though, I, I think Kentucky's going to do something similar to what they did against Arkansas, but it is certainly possible. I'm not leaving it off the table that Cal could say, you know what, these guys are going to tr- maybe give us a little bit more of a chance to win. Let's see if we can try that out. Again, final answer, if he wants to have better results, I think it's possible that he expands that to an eight-man rotation. Great Kentuckian on YouTube asks, does Kentucky need to work more on three-point shooting comfortably, catch and shoot, regardless of the opponent charging, or post-work offense and defense to win the next several games? Just because, Great Kentuckian, you included post-defense in here, I have to go with post-work. Because Kentucky on the defensive end of the floor is giving up bucket after bucket after bucket at the rim. It's something that we've seen. It's something that you and I have talked about. We've gone at lengths to discuss what we, what Kentucky has done and what they need to do. I feel like I'm kind of talking in circles whenever I talk about this at this point. Offense and defense, it's great to see Kentucky maybe try and work on some post stuff in, in, on the offensive end of the floor because for all the, the criticism Shibway has gotten recently, this season, excuse me, for what he's done on the offensive end, there have been a couple of games recently where he has gone like two for 14. Like, just a couple of games ago, just two for four. How does that happen? How do you miss that many mid-range jump shots and floaters? So, I would like to see Kentucky work on that, although I did say on yesterday's show, I think that one of the things that Kentucky's not doing is they're not shooting the three with some of their statistically good shooters. They're not shooting the three ball much at all. But because you included post-work on defense in their great Kentuckian, I'm going to have to go with that just simply because that's the biggest problem that Kentucky has right now. If it was just post-work on offense, I would easily choose choose three-point shooting and comfortability on catch-and-shoot situations. I, I would much rather have that because Kentucky does have several guards, Kaysen Moss, Antonio Reeves, and even Severe Wheeler whenever he gets in. He's one of Kentucky's better three-point shooters this season. I, I think that they could use more aggression, I would say, in that department. That's my thought on that. Before we get to our final two questions, though, I just want to remind you guys, if you have not followed us on Twitter already, at Locked on UK on Twitter, again, subscribe to the show if you have not on YouTube. Uh, I normally fill the show just asking you guys to sub, not because we're trying to boost numbers particularly, although that would be nice to see the numbers go up. In the words of Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes, uh, which is a really good comic, if your numbers go up, that means you're having fun. Um, but, but the point being is I just kind of want to see how many people we can get along for the ride. Uh, as we wrap up this uh, this 2022-23 season, after, after as we get closer to what feels like the pinnacle, and also we get to talk a lot of, in the offseason, I want to have as much as you as possible to kind of discuss and think about what this Kentucky team could look like, because it's not just me, it's also listening to you guys, which is why we're doing a show today uh, talking about questions. So again, subscribe to the show, it would mean a ton. All right, wrapping up the Friday edition of Locked On, Kentucky Lance Dahl hanging out here with you. We got two more questions. I'm just, I'm going to cut it off here. We got two more questions, and they're both from the same person, Wildcat Rewind on YouTube. I want to start with this one first because it ties in what we talked about on yesterday's show. What chance, if any, does Kentucky have of winning the SEC tournament? 
That's what Wildcat Rewind asked over on YouTube. I would say, unless Alabama gets knocked out of the tournament before Kentucky has to play them, there's not a great chance. (laughs) I like our odds to get at least one game in, Wildcat Rewind. And I'm going to pull this back up because recently KSR did a, did an article just kind of breaking down if the SEC tournament started today, um, you know, this is what it would look like. If the SEC tournament started today, Kentucky would obviously be like, what, a five seed, if I'm not mistaken? Would they be six based on a tiebreaker? I'd have, I'd have to go pull it back up. But if the SEC tournament ended the way that Kim Palm thinks it's going to end, or excuse me, the SEC season, Kentucky's going to finish eighth. And that sounds crazy for them to drop that far, but you also have to think about some of the tiebreakers. So if it plays out the way analytics thinks it's going to play out, Kentucky's going to finish 10-8 and in the league. Missouri and Arkansas will also finish 10-8, and and it really sucks for Kentucky because those just happen to be the two teams that hold a tiebreaker over Kentucky in this little hodgepodge right here. It also doesn't help that for some reason, uh, Ken Palm thinks Florida is finishing eleven and seven, which I don't get because of how can or excuse me how Florida has played so far this season. But that is um that is just me. That is just my opinion on that. I, I'm not quite sure what they see. I mean, Florida's got a really good shot to to win some of these easier games. They got Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, Arkansas, Kentucky, Vanderbilt again, Georgia, LSU. Uh, I don't see them finishing the stretch this season. Uh, finishing that stretch six and one. I just don't see that happening for Florida. So, Kim Palm, I think, has got a pretty good grasp on it. Eighth would not be ideal. Would be obviously playing on Thursday in the second round of the tournament. Uh, again, I think Kentucky is is more than likely going to finish in that five or six range. We talked about this recently. I, I don't remember if it was yesterday's show or the day before. Um, and if they do, it again depends on who their matchup is. And obviously, that's kind of a duh situation. There are some teams out there where it's like it truly doesn't depend on their matchup. They would just be good against anybody. It's just a matter of them themselves collapsing in uh, without much of the, the other teams on doing. But if Kentucky's like a five or they're a six, let me tell you something. If they're a five, I really hope they are. Because if that's the case, they end up playing either Ole Miss or LSU more than likely. Ole Miss, LSU, or Georgia. And there's an easy win to bring you up to what should be Auburn in the quarterfinals. It should be Auburn. If it's Texas A&M, you get a shot to maybe to maybe knock them off again. That's going to be a really competitive game. It's going to be fun. But that's the best option, I think. You've got to finish as a five seed because I don't think Kentucky's getting a double bye. I don't think they're winning out. You get what should be, on paper, a good, easy, comfortable game to begin stuff, and then you get to play what I think is one of the more fraudulent teams in the league. And then if Alabama somehow gets knocked out by the eight or the nine seed, then Kentucky's got a legitimate spot to get into the championship. And that at that point, it's just it's just momentum. It's just vibes. I mean, we saw what A&M did last year, making their way all the way to the title game. At that point, it's literally just it's literally just vibes. So I would say that there's not a great chance, especially if Alabama is still in the tournament whenever Kentucky has to play them. But if Bama gets knocked out and Kentucky makes it past their first game, I think that that chance uh, significantly increases. That's just my thought on that. Wildcat Rewind also asks, what chance, or excuse me, 
Did I copy and paste his question twice? I did. Okay, I've got to go pull this back up. <laughs> well, look at me go. Wildcat Rewind, I copy and pasted your question twice. All right. Wildcat Rewind also asked, does Kentucky have to win all of their last seven games to make it into the NCAA tournament? And this goes back to something that we've also been talking about uh, for quite some time over the last few episodes. The answer to this question is no, in my opinion. It depends on who they beat. So I'm going to reiterate something that I've stated several times over the last week or so, and I apologize to, the, to, to you out there who have heard me say this. So Kentucky has seven games left, so right, Wildcat Rewind? They got seven games left. They could finish three and four or four and three and still make the NCAA tournament. It just depends on who they beat. So if they went out and they beat Tennessee, Florida, Auburn, and Arkansas, and they finished four and three, but they lost to Georgia, Mississippi State, and Vanderbilt, they would have a much better chance of getting in if they beat Georgia, Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, and went three and four, or even throw in Auburn in there, or Florida, and that was their fourth win. They didn't, and they ended up not beating Tennessee and Arkansas. They need these quad one victories. So the answer, again, is no. They don't have to get every single win. It would certainly be nice if they won out because then that increases Kentucky's chance of getting a higher seed. But at this point, Kentucky's kind of, I think they've kind of put themselves in a position to where they are going to be very specifically between what I only assume is an 11 or an 8 seed. I mean, I think that's their range. I don't think they go much higher than that. And obviously, you get some drastically different matchups depending on where you land on that. But I, I, I truly do think if they won out, I don't know how much higher they would be past that, if anything, to be honest with you. So getting those quad one victories, it would be nice, but you do not have to win all of these games in order to make the NCAA tournament. I, I do think that right now, though, Wildcat Rewind, it is more important if we are going to focus on winning out, I think it is. I think a better question to ask is how valuable is it for Kentucky in the SEC tournament if they win out? Because if they do end up doing that again, like we just talked about, it really does impact where they end up seeding in the SEC tournament. And if they do pick up a few more wins in the SEC tournament, then that obviously will boost their resume even further. I'm speaking about whether or not they win out this regular season looking at the NCAA tournament without what happens in Nashville in mind. But if they do somehow find a way to not just win out or win, I don't know, six and one, go six and one, something like that, and they're also able to win the SEC tournament, then we're talking about a little bit, a little bit different of a beast because there's also implications that come with that. I think obviously the eye test is going to prove that Kentucky's playing some type of consistent, coherent basketball the shooters will have to have improved. The defense at the rim will have to have improved. Something will have to have happened. And so you head into March all of a sudden, maybe even as a 7-6-5 seed. Who knows? And you have all this momentum, and it, your draw ends up being kind of good. I mean, there's so many different ways that this could play out. Kentucky could lose out. They could not make it. They could win out. They could make it. They could win the SEC tournament. They could end up getting a really good seed. Um, but it's not dependent on whether or not they make it. Which it would be nice, though. I'm not. I'm not arguing that. So those are all the questions I want to get to today, or I wanted to get to today. 
If you have any more questions for the show, we're not going to have another episode until Sunday, I believe. So if you've got any questions, you can drop them. Try and not make them about tomorrow's game. But again, if you've got any questions, you can leave them in the YouTube comments below. That's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Kentucky. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On UK. You can follow me on Twitter at LanceDahl underscore. You can follow the show over on Instagram. That is at Kentucky Podcast. We will have a recap episode of Kentucky's game against Georgia coming up either on Sunday or Monday, depending on how things go. Until then, hope you guys have a great rest of your day, and God bless.